So I was thinking about that opening prayer, and there's a lot there, and you can take it in, in many ways, but one way that stood out to me in light of the readings was that amidst the uncertainties of this world, our hearts may be fixed, may stand firm. So I was thinking as um, we live in modern society and there's a lot of different ideas and ideologies, the question is asked in so many uncertainties of this world, how do I recognize Christ's way, God's voice? How do I know that amidst so many other voices and ideas and pressures that I'm following, Jesus is sure way, truth, and life to heaven? Especially today we have so many different ideas about what is heaven and how do you get there. I mean, yes, you're supposed to pray, that's important, obviously. But people who pray sometimes get different and opposite answers, so what do they do? And sometimes you have experiences where I heard Pastor so-and-so tell me to give a thousand dollars to this cause and that God wants me to do that. Like, is that what God's asking me to do? My friends want me to ignore my father's advice. Is that what Jesus wants me to do? The Methodist Church says this, the Catholic Church says this, and contradicts the first one. The Anglican Church says the other thing, and the Agnostics doesn't know. What does Jesus say? How do I know? My wife and I have decided that God wants us to take an exception to the Church's teachings about family life. How do we know? Father Steve says that I should follow Father Steve's advice. But that's Father Steve. How do I know? I told Jesus I'm sorry, so I think my sins are forgiven. How do I know? And there's some who say that, well, whatever Jesus said, it was long lost before Scripture was even written through the game of telephones, so we really will never know. How do I know? Is there no other point of reference for following the way of Jesus Christ? Is it simply left up to our opinions, our whims, our feelings, our ideologies and cultural trends of the day, our interpretations. So I hope not to go too long, and I don't think the little ones are going to let me anyway, but I think it's important for us to realize Jesus didn't leave that without answer. But it's important to know, and I think the first reading is really beautiful and relevant, it seems like it's kind of obscure in itself, that there was this character in the Old Testament, the role in the palace and kingdom of King David, and the successors of King David, that has this reference to giving the keys, entrusting the keys to the king's treasure. We do believe that there's one God and one ongoing effort to reach fallen mankind, but that effort began with the Jews towards the initial kingdom of David, and that Jesus is the heir to the throne of his great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather David, we realize that salvation began with the Jews and was passed on through the bloodline of the Jews. You had to be Jewish in the physical roots of Abraham, Isaac, Moses, etc. The twelve tribes of Israel, that's a, that's a Jewish tribal thing. But with Jesus, it's towards a spiritual fulfillment of that initial beginning. And the promise is that his kingdom will have no end. David's kingdom through Jesus Christ will have no end. But it's the same kingdom, the same promise, the same lineage, the same God and worship of that God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 
It was not abolished with Christ, right? He says, I didn't come to abolish the old, but to bring it to fulfillment. It's transfigured, it's transposed from the physical to the spiritual, but it's not thrown out. The Old Testament has a priesthood, a ritual, a way of worship, a lamb, a sacrifice. It has a queen. It has the mother of the king. It has this gatekeeper in Heliakim, or Heliakim, however you want to pronounce it, but the more we grasp its physical form in the old, the Jewish roots, the better we understand and recognize its spiritual presence today, the spiritual footprint, because it's the same kingdom. And this physical kingdom of David in the Old Testament had that office, that master of the palace of the king with a physical key, in the Old Testament given to Heliakim, to open a physical door to David's palace and David's physical treasures. Isaiah talked to him in the Word of God as a fixed point of reference. You want to enter? You got to talk to Eliakim. And that was his job. He was not the owner of the treasure. He was the steward. And he had the king's authority over the administration of all the king's treasures. And that was an office that was not exempt from the risk of corruption or greed. That's why they really actually begins with poor Shebna getting like chastised because he didn't exercise his role very well. And it was passed on to Heliakim. But yet it was sustained by God and endured and outlasted time and corruption. So when you get to Jesus, he doesn't abolish the old. He doesn't abolish that office. But he brings it to a higher fullness. And in parallel fashion, in that episode of the Gospel, he says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of John. And all he asked was the question, Who do people say that I am? But in Simon Peter's answer, for actually, he's still Simon. In Simon's answer, Jesus says, Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. But my Father in heaven. And Jesus recognizes that his Father has established Simon to be the spiritual gatekeeper, steward, and administrator of the spiritual and divine treasures of that kingdom of heaven. He says, so I, for my part, say to you, you are Stephen. No, he says Peter, but that's a name. We get lost in English. But it's, you are rock. It's a Greek word. And upon this rock, I will build my kingdom, my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give to you the keys to my kingdom, such that what you bind on earth, notice it's quoting Isaiah's first reading. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. But it's the same promised kingdom. Our Lord himself just taking the old and bringing it to fulfillment in the new. But that spiritual authority in that kingdom is being entrusted to a human individual. You think about it, Jesus can only be referring to his own spiritual authority of his kingdom, authority over sin, authority over salvation, authority over the word of God. When Jesus preached, they listened like he was speaking as one having authority. That authority wasn't lost. You have heard it was said in the Old Testament, but I say to you, because he had an authority to interpret the scriptures. He had authority over the treasures of heaven, the healing power of heaven. And that authority did not dissipate 
Every now and then we scratch our heads saying, well, where is it? What happened to it? Where did it go? Does it still exist? I think the kids are telling me to hurry up. But Isaiah quote, Isaiah's quote, I will fix you as a peg in a firm place. That was the role in the Old Testament. In that opening prayer, Lord, fix, keep us fixed in a firm place amid the uncertainties. And our Lord gave that role to Simon, whom he called the Rock Peter. And 2,023 years later, that rock is still historically and physically present. Peter himself, given that authority, taught that it would continue, and himself gave that authority to Linus, who gave it to Clinus, who gave it to Sixtus, Sixtus, who passed it on for the last many successors of Peter. What do we call the successor of Peter? Called the Pope, right? The Bishop of Rome, because that's where Peter was bishop when he died. It's authority over Christ's way in us, Christ's truth in us, Christ's life in us. When we're asked, who is Jesus? Well, nobody knows. No, we have an answer. When we're asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That was the rich young man's question to Jesus. We don't simply say, well, you have to find it out on your own. Good luck. That's not our answer. That's why this psalm was so beautiful. Do not forsake the work you have begun. Do not forsake the role you gave to Peter and his successors. Do not forsake your church, O God, the work of your hands. Jesus of Nazareth, Christ, did not plan to be the only historical point of reference for our faith. In fact, he didn't write anything down. He intentionally and very explicitly today entrusted it to other visible points of reference. Peter and the apostles passed it on. We have that visible, clear point of reference today. We didn't lose that authority over time. No, it is not exempt from temptations, corruption, and struggles on this side of heaven in the final harvest. But think about it. There's no other political position in world history that has lasted for 2,023 years. The people didn't last, but the office endured. Even after popes were dragged out of the palace of Rome and carried around the city in triumphant defeat, the enemy is triumphing over them. That office and authority has outlasted many periods of tragedy and corruption. In Luke's Gospel, we don't read it today, but in Luke's Gospel, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has wanted to sift all of you apostles like wheat, but I have prayed for you, and it switches to the singular, you, that your own faith may not fail. And when you have come back, confirm your brothers in the faith. That's the role of the Pope, is to confirm everyone, this is the way. When you're not sure, when you're doubting, when there's confusion, when there's contrary opinions, this is the way. And we can be confirmed in the sure way, truth, and life that we are to follow. So much of what we do and receive today is rooted in that decision of Christ for Peter and the apostles. And if that didn't happen, we want to sit there and play the game like, well, actually, the, the scripture was, it was originally Hebrew, so maybe the translation was different. And he said, you are a pebble, and upon this pebble, it doesn't matter. I'll do what I want. We're independent of you. Well, it's a translation thing, so it's lost. We don't know. Well, then Jesus was very short-sighted. But if that's the case, and if it didn't happen, and that authority was not entrusted, then you know what? Your sins have never been forgiven in the confessional. No one had authority to forgive your sins. 
You came to Mass a thousand times and received just a little wafer because no one had power to do a miracle to transform it into the blood and body of Jesus Christ. It never happened. You were naive. And the Word of God, that Word of God that was meant to be a fixed point of reference and was given a fixed point of reference was actually long ago scattered and each sinner can interpret scripture whatever way they want. They can pretend their own, to pave their own way, build their own church, their own way, truth, and life. But that's not our faith. Because Christ said, my church is built upon the rock of Peter. Yes, I'm the cornerstone, but the foundation is the apostles. That's why we say we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. That church and that kingdom is the same mustard seed then as it is now today. It was not lost. And the structures that sustained it have not been lost. That's what it means to be Catholic. This is actually one of the most important teachings for a Catholic. That word Catholic means universal, which you can interpret it like six or seven different meanings that all kind of support each other. But one of them is universal, universal, bending towards one, being drawn together towards one, having one point of reference. So that when you went to Corinth in Greece, and you went to Rome in Italy, and you went to Jerusalem in the Holy Land, and you went to Syria, and you found the, the way of Jesus Christ, the, the people of the way, the Christians, they all did the same thing. They all believed the same truths. They all worshipped the same way with the liturgy of the Word followed by the liturgy of the Eucharist. And it was the same. Because they had the same authority. And when someone had an opinion that seemed to contradict it, there wasn't, well, you do your thing and I'll do my thing and we all do our own thing. It persevered. Through not just five years of that, not just 20 years of that, but 2,023 years. You go to Rome and it's the same Catholic Church. You go to China and find the authentic Catholic Church, and it's the same. They listen to the Holy Father. One fixed peg, Peter and his successors. It's the opposite. Catholic is the opposite of splintering. It's tragic, you know, in 1517, it's sad that Martin Luther did see so much corruption amidst Catholics, individual Catholics, including priests and bishops. There was a need to reform the ways of individuals to have them live in authenticity the way of the Catholic teaching. They weren't doing it. But instead, tragically, Martin Luther broke with and founded the Lutheran way of Jesus Christ. And it was less than 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 years later that gave way to another one, which gave way to another one, which gave way to today's 60,000 splintering ways that all kind of contradict each other. Is the, any one of them right? How would you know? Which one would you go to? We don't follow the opinions of the representatives of that faith either, because they're human sometimes. Well, if Father gives you a hard teaching, you could just go find another priest that'll tell you what you want to hear. That's not our faith. The priest is not the only fixed point of reference for the faith. He has to hold himself firmly attached to that fixed peg of Peter. We simply ask the Holy Spirit to really help us in these times of a lot of confusion. By the way, the first theme of our month in, in 
everything that we're doing with the fire nights for the whole family of all ages, the first theme is the Bible. Is it left up to everyone's personal interpretation or is there a key of interpretation? And was that key entrusted to Simon Peter and his successors? We ask the Holy Spirit to really deepen our faith. Why do I follow this way among 60,000 plus billions of opinions of how to follow Jesus Christ right now for me and my discernment and my decisions? Are my prayer movements, are they from God or are they not from God? Am I left up to myself or to Him? We do pray for the Pope. We pray for Pope, for pope Francis. We pray for all those who really were entrusted with the authority that was entrusted to Peter and the Apostles. So that, that Church of Christ, as it hasn't so far, will never succumb. The gates of hell have not prevailed against it and will not prevail against it. On the contrary, that actually that image of gates prevailing is more of a defensive. So that it's really the Kingdom of God attacking the gates of hell. And not even hell. Not even all the power and deception of hell can prevail against the Kingdom of God against the church. We ask the Holy Spirit to really deepen our understandings of who we are, what we are, what we believe, and how we can be that sure point of reference for others as representatives, true representatives of the Catholic way, truth, and life of Jesus Christ. This is hard in our day and age. We don't like to say, well, one person might know better than another. One teaching might be more accurate than the other. But our Lord did it first. And we asked ourselves, do I follow that Jesus or one of my own inventions? It's easy to follow the Jesus who tells me what I want to hear. It's harder to follow the real one. Who do you say that I am? That was the gospel question. How do you say to follow me? The way I gave you? Or a way of your own inventing? My blessed mother intercede for us as she watched her son do the, the craziest thing ever and trust his entire heritage, kingdom, and treasures of heaven into the hands of clay, vessels of clay of 12 men, one of them already a betrayer. And those offices never dissipated, never disappeared. And they are still in our midst today, in need of many prayers. Amen. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph.